Now, I've never pictured Jesus as a lot of the maybe paintings or movies that we have seen, TV shows about Jesus, if they try to depict him in a good way. Oftentimes they show him very a very soft man. To be honest with you, being in the trades, I hadn't seen too many soft tradesmen. If you work with hammers, you work with tools, you get calluses and you develop muscles that help you to do the job that you have. And think about the strength that he had. He harnessed all the strength and humility and gentleness and meekness. He came lowly and sitting on the donkey, on the fold of a donkey in this coat. That's meekness. That's true humility. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message, from God's Word. We are uh, in Colossians chapter 3, looking at verses 12 through 25 today, finishing out chapter 3, and we'll probably finish out the remainder of the book next week as Paul goes into his closing statements. We look at even chapter 4, verse 1. It probably should have been included in chapter 3, and we'll talk about that next week, but it looks like there was another bad chapter break. Remember when I say that? Chapters were not inspired. The verses were not inspired. They were all put in to help us kind of be able to find our way and navigate through the Bible, and sometimes the breaks don't quite make sense. We'll see that next week. As we get into chapter 4, last week we began to look at the practical side of our sanctification in verses 1 through 11, and then I was looking at breaking the text up itself, and I realized that verse 12 probably wasn't the best place to finish off the message because in verse 10, Paul had just finished telling us to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created them. So we're to put on Christ. And he actually goes in the details of how to put on Christ, especially picking up verses 12 through 14. And so we kind of broke at the put on, but it's one of those things if you, you know, you keep going and you may never get out of here on a Sunday morning. So I chose to give us a break. We finished last week with our putting off. And remember, uh, literally, it, it refers to a word, the removal of clothing. And, and you're to put off the old man, to remove those things as we looked at the various vices last week of anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, and lying. These things 
is what the Lord has called us to put off. That's part of the old life. That's who we used to be. It's not who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. And so we're to now put on. And remember, I had said the Greek word put on is enduo, and it gives that sense of wrapping yourself in a, a warm blanket. It's literally putting on clothing to dress. And we're to clothe ourselves as we take off these things. It's no good to take them off if you don't clothe yourself with, as we go into this list today of tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. He said, but above all these things to put on love. So we'll discover that love is the greatest that we are to put on. I think because of the love that we're able to put on, then we are able to effectively know what it means to have tender mercy or kindness or humility, meekness and long-suffering. We look at the message itself. I broke it into three portions to put on the new verses 12 through 14, put in the true verses 15 through 17, and then finally to submit, love, obey, and do verses 18 through 25. And I'm going to go ahead and read through the context of our passage today and open us up in prayer. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has any complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell richly in you, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. There is no partiality. And Father, we thank you for these words that you've given us in, in Scripture, Lord. They're instructions to life, how we are to live out our faith as believers in Jesus Christ. And perhaps, Lord, we haven't had the right attitude. We may memorize the verse, sing the song, and say whatever we do, but Lord, are we living it out? Whatever we do, are we doing it heartily to the Lord? That is well-pleasing to you. It's my prayer that we would. And so help us, Lord, to continually conform into the image of your Son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen to put on the new. 
He begins by calling us God's elect. And I just wanted to pause on that for a moment in verse 12, where it says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, electos, eklektos, let me read it right. Eklektos is the Greek word there. It means to select, to choose, to pick out. But I like what Vines or Strong said about this. He, he just wrote next to it, favorite. I kind of like that. My sisters might argue that I was my mom's favorite. I was the baby of the family, and sometimes babies get that qualification in a family group. But I really like how John, if you remember in his gospel, the gospel of John, four times in John 13, 23, John 20, verse 2, John 21, verse 7, and also 21, verse 20, he simply described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like everyone should know, hey, this, oh, it's John. Of course, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I love that attitude that we should have, not as siblings who might argue about who's mom and dad's favorite, but we should have the attitude that we are each the favorite of the Lord. We are the elect of God. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, with every spiritual blessing in heaven, in the heavenly places, just as he chose us, the same word, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us. You're the elect. You're the chosen. And it's not by accident. Paul says, before the foundations of the world, you've been chosen in God. Hey, you've been God's favorite well, for a long, long time. It also reminded me of the children's song, Jesus Loves Me. This song first appeared in a poem back in the 1860s. It was a novel by Susan Warner, and the novel itself was called Say and Seal. And in this story, there was a little boy named Johnny Fax who was dying, and there was a Mr. Linden who read him this poem to comfort him as he was dying. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me, he who died heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. Jesus loves me, he will stay close beside me all the way. Thou had bled and died for me. I will hence live for thee. And so that appeared first in this novel. And then a year later, William Bradbury put music to it, added the chorus, and we've been singing it ever since all the way around the world to know that Jesus loves you. And we teach it to our children, but sometimes I think even as adults, we need to just sing the song. In, in Calvary Chapel history, at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and Pastor Chuck. And if you know the history of Calvary Chapel, Pastor Chuck had for many years, 30 plus years, his second or assistant pastor, the main assistant was Romaine. Romaine was a ex-sergeant for the Marines and he kind of operated that way around Calvary Chapel. Chuck was deemed as grace and Romaine, well, you didn't get a whole lot of grace out of him unless you were... He was very kind to the ladies. Guys, man, he would just rip you up. And uh, 
Not a lot of kindness out of Romaine. Even one time, Lily and I saw him at a restaurant, and I walked up to say hello to him, and he just kind of shook his head, and it's like, I can't get away from you guys anywhere, you know? <laughs> it's just, that was Romaine. But Don McClure told a story that when he would drive with Romaine and they would go somewhere, and I think he told this at Romaine's funeral, that they would be singing and praising and singing songs, and at one point, Romaine would say, let's sing the best one. Let's sing the best song. And that best song for Romaine was Jesus Loves Me. And they would be singing that as they went out and about uh, driving perhaps to a conference or someplace. To know that Jesus loves us, that we are the elect, that we are his favorite, that he's called us holy and beloved. It should give us courage then to put off the old that we might be able to properly put on the new. And to put on in verses 12 through 14, it's putting on these characteristics of Christ. His tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering in verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. He didn't say so you ought to do. He said you got to do it. This is how we are to live as believers in Jesus Christ. And so again, to put on, uh, to get into that garment, to put it on as clothes, we're to put on tender mercies. Um, I like the King James translation of this. And it gives, I think, a better sense of the word itself in the Greek. To put on tender mercies, King James says, bowels of mercies. And it gives us the sense that this mercy is coming from deep within. It's like rising up within us, these bowels of mercy. It speaks about that deep-seated affection compassion that we would have toward others. In Philippians 1.8, it says, For as God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The same word is used here, that affection, these balls of mercy, this great longing that Paul had for those who were in Philippi. We're also to put on kindness, and it, it's a word that literally means to make use of, usefulness. To put on kindness. It's one thing to have tender mercies, but if you don't do anything about it, if you're not helping and engaging in people's lives, then what good are tender mercies? They, man, I'm so moved with your situation. Sorry, I can't help you. And it's the kindness that makes usefulness. It's concerned for the welfare of others. Peter would write it this way in 2 Peter 1.7. To godliness, add brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, add love. It's a responsibility that we have uh, to others to show kindness. And it means to make use of. It means putting those tender mercies to action, we might say. But to also do it in humility. Literally, it's a humility of mind. It's a mindset that we have. And there's no greater humility passage, I believe, in that's given to us, then Philippians 2, verses 5 through 9, that says, Let this mind be in you, that which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so humility, 
Next to that, meekness. And meekness and humility, somewhat the same, but I think it's meekness is how you respond quite often. It's the gentleness of attitude or behavior. And we have a couple of great examples of, of those who are meek in Scripture. The Bible tells us in Numbers 12.3 concerning Moses. Now, the man Moses was very humble. The King James used the word meek. More than all men who are on the face of the earth. Of course, Moses wrote this about himself, so I don't know if... He was very humble, very meek. Think about Moses himself, that God came to him and gave him the authority to go down to Egypt with the rod of the Lord. We know that Moses tried to back out of it and Aaron became the voice for Moses and, and we know that his brother shared in that. But people looked to Moses. He, through, through Moses, God brought these 10 plagues upon the nation of Egypt, delivered the Israelites out of the nation of Egypt. They've been enslaved there, and the Bible tells us that they came out 430 years to the day. 430 years, uh, that had been the life of the Israelis and probably believed that it would always be their life. But God used Moses to accomplish these great things and to bring them to the threshold of the promised land. Of course, we know that the first generation refused to enter in. We know that Moses and Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, that they were not allowed to go in. But think about the authority that he had and the meekness that was there. Another great example is Jesus. In Matthew 21, 5, it says, Tell the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly, sitting on the donkey, a colt, a fold of the donkey. He came lowly. He came in meekness. Now, I've never pictured Jesus as a lot of the maybe paintings or movies that we have seen, TV shows about Jesus, if they try to depict him in a good way. Oftentimes, they show him very a very soft man. To be honest with you, being in the trades, I hadn't seen too many soft tradesmen. If you work with hammers, you work with tools, you get calluses and you develop muscles that help you to do the job that you have. And well, I once heard King Graves, one of the Calvary Chapel pastors from Bangor, Maine, he described Jesus coming into Jerusalem, sitting on this donkey as wearing his dickies or Carhartt robe uh, with carpenter's pencil, you know, stuck behind his ear, his feet dragging on the ground and those big carpenter's hands wiping the tears away from his eyes as he wept over the city. Think about the strength that he had. He harnessed all the strength and humility and gentleness and meekness. He came lowly and sitting on the donkey, on the fold of a donkey in this coat. That's meekness. That's true humility. We're also to be long-suffering, and it's a word for patience, to have patience with others, to patiently wait. And, and sometimes when dealing with other people, all you got sometimes is patience. You pray and you wait for the Lord to do work in their lives. You pray for them. Hebrews 6.12 says, uh, Don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith and patience. 
that we trust in the Lord and his word and that he's coming again. And I know tonight is the eclipse and the blood moon and all that. And there are so many have been teaching that the Lord is coming and it's going to happen now and maybe even this day and maybe it will. I heard one pastor say if he doesn't choose to come during this season of the fourth blood moon, if you've heard about that for the last couple of years, one pastor said, I'll be glad to get through the season that we can get our eyes off of this blood moon thing and just get back to the work of the church that the Lord has called us to do. And I would love to see, the, of course, the Lord to come. But if he doesn't come, in patience, we continue on. We continue the work that he's called us to do. Long-suffering, bearing with one another. It means to hold up against something, to put up with, and... I don't, I don't know if that put up with, and when I put up, I got to put up with you. That's, I don't think that's the mindset that we want to take this as, but perhaps Galatians 6, 2, bearing one another's burdens so to fulfill the law of Christ. We're to um, put up within the sense that we come alongside, we're helpful to one another, we're in this together, and then Knowing that we're in this together, we need to have the attitude of forgiveness, forgiving one another. It, it means a readiness to pardon someone's offense. Remember that Peter asked the Lord about forgiveness at one point in Matthew 18, 21 through 22. He asked the Lord, how many times do we have to forgive our brother when he sins against us? Seven times? Now, Peter thought he was getting some brownie points on this one because um, the scribes, the religious rulers back in Peter's day taught that the number was three, magic number three. You forgive somebody three times after that. Don't worry about it anymore. It's a done deal. You tried. It's over. So Peter, uh, three times two plus one, number of perfection. How much more do you want out of me, Lord, to forgive seven times? And the Lord said, no, 70 times seven. You know that I believe there are some people out there that maybe are, you know, 489, one more time. We're almost there. We've reached the limit that the Lord has given us. And I think what the Lord is saying, I don't want you to keep track. I want you to forgive. In fact, Paul worded it specifically here. Do you want the Lord keeping track of your sins against him? Or do you want his forgiveness? Do you want him to be at 489? One more time, John, and you're done with. But no, we're to forgive as Christ has forgiven you, so we must do. He's called us to this. It's to be part of our, part of our makeup as believers in Jesus Christ. As we put on the new person through faith in Jesus Christ, then we are to take on these characteristics of Christ, his tender mercy, his kindness, his humility, his meekness, his long-suffering, his forbearance and his forgiveness. But above all, we're to put on the love of Christ. Verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Above all the things, of all the characteristics that he had just listed out to us that we are to put on as believers in Jesus Christ, love is to be the greatest of these. Whenever love appears in the New Testament, I look it up in the Greek, I want to know if it's does he want us to put on uh, phileo love, meaning brotherly love, or does he want us to put on agape love? And it's agape. We're to put on this 
Greek word that describes love, I believe, at the greatest level. And I believe that is not truly attainable apart from Christ working in our hearts. Romans 5, 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God's love's poured out into our hearts. We're to put on this love. And he says it's the bond of perfection. This Greek word refers to uh, that which binds things together like the ligaments in our body. I've had a few ligaments stretch out in my body, my shoulders. I've had surgery in both ones because they didn't bind my shoulders together any longer and ended up tearing muscles because of that because they weren't doing their job. We know that this agape love, it not only binds the Lord's church together, but in the context of this passage, it's the agape love of the Lord that binds these wonderful characteristics that we are to put on through his love then we're able to truly put on tender mercies. We're truly able to put on kindness through his love. We're able to understand true humility and meekness. We're able to know long-suffering. Without his love, we wouldn't understand forbearance or forgiveness in our lives. Love is the necessary thing that binds all these things together. We're to put those on. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.